Welcome to the Cannabis 101 podcast, your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there and welcome to episode 68, our number one of the Cannabis 101 podcast. My name is Dean Millard and it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. Uh, It's our first week with video. Hi, how are you? If you're watching uh, and if you're listening, you can watch on our YouTube and the WeTube channels as well as our social media feeds. And it's our uh, first week where we're splitting the show into two-hour segments. Uh, Hour number one is today. This is Monday, uh, depending on when you're listening. Uh, But it will be released on Mondays, and hour number two uh, will be released on Wednesdays. But before we do anything, we always start out by finding out, what's your groove? in your pipe and smoke it. Can you dig it? Kind of grabs you by the boom boom, don't it? Pipe in a crate, long in a blitz. This is great. This is the bee's knees. Can you dig it? So when I say, what's your groove, if you're new to the show, I'm asking that if you're grooving with something to let me know what it is. And, you know, it could be a joint, bong, CBD, an edible, a drink, who knows, anything. Let me know if you are indeed grooving with something. Uh, Let me know what it is. I am going, uh, for those watching, you can see uh, it's the Hexo blue dream uh and a lot of places are having sales this is uh, obviously coming up on the two-year anniversary of the legalization of cannabis in canada so there's going to be a lot of sales going on at a lot of different retail outlets uh, as we celebrate this saturday and sunday and uh, i got this pen at uh, plant life in st albert uh, the uh, aaron ridge location Really good deal on these. And Blue Dream, is it's it's it for me. It's my uh, go-to. Um, you know, it doesn't, it's not a miracle cure for me, but uh, it does certainly help improve things uh, when I am having some tough times. Uh, so uh, I got this at uh, Plant Life. Uh, um, check out your local Plant Life to find the really good deals. But wherever your store is, is going to have incredible sales, I'm sure, on the uh, two-year anniversary. Remember, 420 this year happened in the middle of, of COVID, well, what we thought was the middle, maybe it's not, but in the in certainly in, you know, some of the early terrible stages. So there was not a lot of celebrating, and I'm not saying there's going to be crazy parties in the streets, and there shouldn't be, uh, but there's going to be a lot more, I think, going on as we uh, celebrate the two year anniversary. So that is what uh, that I, this is what I'm uh, grooving with today. Cool little light there, eh? At the uh, lights up at the end as you inhale. I love it. Like I said, it's uh, it's kind of my jam, as they might say. It really gets me going. Um, you know, brings me out of some stuff, and um, just I just generally enjoy it as well. 
All right, uh, here is what's coming down the hash pipe on this episode today. Uh, David Wiley from the OZ is going to join us for this week in Cannabis News. We're going to discuss how stock prices for cannabis surged after the vice presidential debate. Mark Zuckerberg making a donation to legalize all drugs, not just cannabis. We'll talk about THC drinks uh, from the point of view of Esquire magazine, obviously a a very uh, popular magazine. And how about some PBS pot talk with uh, a very popular uh, PBS host. Malcolm LaBelle will also join us for the business of cannabis. We'll give you the latest Bud Biz buzz. Uh, we're going to be talking about decriminalizing in the U.S. That was also brought up by my, uh, uh, Kamala Harris during the U.S. vice presidential, presidential debate and what that means for Canada in the long term. Route 1 Agency will be our game changers. Uh, if you are uh, in the cannabis space and looking for a little bit of help, they can give you a helping hand. And I'm going to discuss some oil and gas refugees now making their way into the cannabis space. We'll also tell you our uh, cannabis character is about being thankful, and we'll have weed word of the day uh, as we roll on the show. But without further ado, let's get going with the cannabis character or question. It's prize time. Chime in on the cannabis question. Okay. And you could win a Cannabis 101 podcast prize pack. Pipe and a grape, bong and a blint. Hit us up on any of our social media feeds or email us at Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Okay, here we go. So our cannabis question today, and you can win a Cannabis 101 podcast prize pack just for chiming in. Uh, you, you don't have to have the best answer. We put all the answers in a hat, a cannabis hat, and we draw it out a name, and then we present the winner. And you can uh, chime in anonymously as well. So uh, the cannabis question is, who are you thankful for in the cannabis industry? There's a lot of names. I'd like you to try to pick out one if you can. Uh, if you would like to name a few, certainly uh, that is uh, that is fine with uh, me as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want to leave um, a lot of people out by naming several. So I'm just going to go with one name for me. And uh, it's, uh, it's Grant Sanderson from Nova Cannabis, uh, the vice president of cannabis at uh, Nova, um, because... Um, he, he's a guy that I turn to for advice, um, about this podcast in the very beginning. And he's a, a family friend of my wife's, um, his nephew also was drafted fifth overall by the Ottawa senators this past week. Uh, it's pretty cool. I higher than, uh, Grant's brother, Jeff, uh, who also played in the NHL. Uh, but anyway, um, it, Grant has been just, a uh, just a wealth of information for me, a lot of help uh, in connecting me with different people. So, you know, this podcast is on episode 68. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're, I think we're doing pretty well. And, and a lot of that success, I, I would, uh, you know, in the beginning and certainly helping me get off the ground and, and, you know, what sort of things might 
people might be interested in um, was it was a big help uh, was Grant Sanderson of Nova Cannabis. So that's who I'm thankful for. Uh, there's there's so many people in in this industry that have helped me. And again, I don't want to offend uh, by starting to name a whole bunch of people and leave somebody out. But uh, certainly in the beginning to help me get this show off the ground, to, to connect me with a few uh, good people and uh, give me some advice. Uh, I'm thankful for uh, Grant Sanderson of uh, Nova Cannabis. So that's the cannabis question. Uh, and uh, as mentioned, you can chime in at uh, any point. Uh, you just have to uh, either email us at cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. You can get us on Twitter at the cannabis101. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the cannabis101 podcast. So chime in and you could get yourself in the mix for the cannabis101 podcast prize pack just for telling us who you are thankful for in the cannabis industry and want to remind you to get the latest on the cannabis 101 podcast every friday with the weed weekly all you do is sign up at the cannabis 101 podcast.ca and you're in the mix we have a prize every friday as well for subscribers only so if you're not subscribed head to the cannabis 101 podcast.ca click subscribe and join the fun with our Weed Weekly on Fridays. Plus, it's a good way to keep up with, hopefully, what is your favorite or one of your favorite cannabis podcasts. What's happening? We'll tell you right now on This Week in Cannabis News. My good friend David Wiley joins me as usual from Okanagan Z, the OZ. You can find it online at okanaganz.com and follow them on Twitter at Okanagan Z and David is not only good to hear from you good to see you as we've launched video also on our new day so a lot of stuff going on how has your Thanksgiving weekend been hello it's great to see you <laughs> it's, it's been good so far uh you know just munching on the usual Thanksgiving fun and enjoying family uh, that is awesome, and uh, yeah, uh, you can uh, you can celebrate in so many different ways, and uh, I think a lot of people in uh, the United States were celebrating after the uh, vice presidential debate because, man, uh, stocks of the weed variety were surging after that, weren't they, David? They sure were, and I noticed it with my own stocks and didn't know why. And then, you know, you put two and two together and realize that uh, during the United States vice presidential debate, that uh, Democratic vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris had said that marijuana would be decriminalized under a Joe Biden administration. And that resulted in a whole schwack of cannabis stocks going up. Um, particularly Canadian ones, big Canadian ones like Tilray, Canopy, Afria. Heck, even Aurora got a bump from that uh, that comment. And you know this this change would mean a lot of great things. It would mean that uh, the criminal records would be expunged. Uh, it would likely impact banking for cannabis companies operating in the U.S., allowing them to uh, to use a bank to get credit or even just to open up an account, which they can't do right now. Everything in the U.S. is a cash economy. Uh, interesting that the comment was that we would see decriminalization across the U.S. and not legalization. There is a difference there. It would mean that 
companies could uh, people wouldn't get in trouble for uh, having for possession, um, but it would still leave it up to a state by state basis to implement the kinds of uh, changes that we would see in, in different uh, states. So it's a fairly fascinating development. We're also seeing this coming from uh, Kamal Harris, who is the lead sponsor of the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. Uh, the vote on that was delayed and that would also create uh, quite a few changes, including removing cannabis uh, as a schedule one drug. Which is absolutely ridiculous that uh, cocaine is uh, uh, seen as a healthier drug among the schedules that the United States puts out. And listen, we talked last week, David, about the ridiculousness of more people being in jail or having, uh, you know, being behind bars of some kind uh, for possession than all of violent crimes combined last year it's a ridiculous stat it's a ridiculous fact and this at the very least is one step closer to getting some of those people out of that situation and then maybe towards legalization um you know like the in in canada that's how it, it really did start out with decriminalization and then it ended up with legalization so who knows where it could go but at least it's a step in the right direction correct Absolutely. And that's what we want to see. We want to see people who are behind bars right now for really having a plant, smoking (laughs) a plant. Uh, And that's ridiculous. So uh, fingers crossed that the U.S. does go in this direction. All right, let's uh, jump into our next story. And uh, this is an interesting one from Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, Yes, the man behind Facebook is also supporting decriminalization of marijuana decriminalization of actually all drugs and this was something that surprised me Uh, i have tried to advertise a number of times on facebook and that ad gets rejected every single time um so to see that mark zuckerberg uh, through at least one of his foundations that uh, is run by him and his wife uh, to see this kind of support is surprising and uh, it's hope for optimism as well. So this foundation uh, has given $500,000 in support of measure 110, and that would decriminalize all drugs in Oregon. So cannabis right there uh, at the moment is legal, both medically and recreationally. Um, And this is a huge societal shift that we're likely going to be seeing here. the the decriminalization across the board is gaining momentum in all kinds of places and i know it's not everyone's cup of tea uh, certainly a, a law change that would push more people toward doing things like uh, meth or uh, heroin or, or anything along those lines isn't something that we want to see but when you come at it from a different angle and as a parent myself to think about how i would want my children treated were they to uh, god forbid become addicted to a substance like this i would want them to be treated as human beings and what this change proposes uh, is is really a shift in the way that we look at people who are addicted to these harder substances it means that we don't look at it as a criminal element anymore rather we look at it as a as a, a health problem and that's something that we're seeing particularly in bc with the downtown east side 
uh, we're seeing that when you try and just put people in jail, uh, when you find them, when you uh, persecute them for uh, possession or for drug use, that it really doesn't do anything to help them from a mental health perspective or a health perspective. So right now in Oregon, uh, you know, in 2018, there were almost 9,000 simple drug Jeez. possession arrests. And it, that's actually more than one drug possession arrest per hour. And talking about the, the, the disproportionate number of people who are minorities affected by these kinds of laws, that's no different in Oregon, where we're seeing uh, people who are Asian, uh, Native American, or Black uh, being persecuted for drug charges more than, uh, more than anyone else. So this is a fascinating change that we're seeing and, uh, and a surprising one too. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see some forward movement uh, happening. You know, it might not be uh, your cup of tea or her cup of tea or his cup of tea, but it could be somebody else's cup of tea with psilocybin in it if this uh, ruling does go through or this this policy. And, and, and it really does, David, kind of point out, I think, um, you know, how, how somebody views another person in society that is maybe vulnerable. And listen, I'll, I'll tell you, it's no different uh, than, than how some people still, and, and oftentimes, and it's getting better, but viewed mental illness. You know, they couldn't see it, so they didn't maybe think it was real. And some people think, well, I'm never going to get addicted to drugs, so that doesn't matter to me. Uh, well, somebody in your family might or your friend, and it's, it's called compassion, and it's called a disease, just like mental health, just like cancer, just like diabetes. Um, you know, it's, it's something that it's unfortunately sometimes brought on uh, ourselves, but sometimes there are chemical imbalances in, and there's hereditary things in our genes that take us down this path. So it, it all comes down to compassion in my mind. Yeah, very, very well put. And uh, just thinking about our families on Thanksgiving even is a mm -hmm. good time to reflect on how we feel about these kinds of issues. It is strange that Mark Zuckerberg is involved in this because I too have uh, <laughs> felt the wrath of not being able to do any kind of social media posts on Facebook because it's not federally legalized in the United States. And the same sort of thing with Apple, right? Like you can't use, uh, you know, I can't use the, the app on my iPhone for my volcano because it's not federally legalized and Apple is uh, staying away from from vapes. Um, but you know what? Esquire is not staying away from THC infused <laughs> beverages. And, and in fact, uh, this, uh, you know, very prestigious publication uh, had a pretty cool article about these uh, THC drinks and the buzz they're making. There's a big piece in Esquire about cannabis beverages. And it makes sense because it's one of the more accessible ways to partake. This was written by Julia Bainbridge, and she's, well, kind of a big deal. Published in the New York Times, Bon Appetit, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post. She's also the author of a book called Good Drinks, uh, which is an alcohol-free recipe book. Uh, her argument in this piece is that uh, tacky cans and THC overload is a thing of the past, and now people are seeing cannabis drinks uh, as, you know, brightly 
colored uh, marketing, that they're tasty and microdosed. So there's less chance that people are just going to end up on the couch locked for four hours. Now for this piece, which, which is a great read, she talked to her friend Kat Turner, who uh, through the pandemic, she's an executive chef and has been working 18 hour days in the restaurant business. Uh, and as people do, particularly in the restaurant industry, that uh, she's taken to alcohol in the evening and uh, found that you, a few too many drinks every night has really started to tank her productivity and led to bouts of depression. So uh, her friend had switched to two milligram drinks to relax and found that that was a big help. Uh, she was hangover free in the morning and really enjoyed them. Now, drinks themselves are one of the fastest growing uh, drinks among a really important group of cannabis consumers. And that's uh, curious female users who are between the ages of 35 and 55. And that comes uh, according to Tracy Mason, who is the CEO of a company called House of Saka, which produces cannabis drinks. Uh, beverages themselves are just generally more familiar and people tend to stay away, especially people who are new to cannabis, tend to stay away from smoking and want to have a different kind of experience. Uh, my own experience with these kinds of drinks is that they're, they, they hit fast now, they taste great, so they wear off relatively quickly, and we're starting to see some pretty cool stuff. Um, one of my favorite breweries, actually, Lagunitas in the States, has produced an IPA-inspired a hi-fi hops drink, which is one of the first ones in the U.S. to use nanotechnology. Um, so there's lots of lots of changes, and it's really interesting to see uh, that cannabis is being covered in bigger, more prestigious magazines. It's being written about at a lot more places, and uh, it's really starting to get out there and become normalized just through the media. Yeah, it uh, it really is such a cool thing. And, you know, listen, you know, the whole summer barbecue season really didn't happen this year, where if it did, if we were in some sort of normal year, I think that cannabis drinks would be an even bigger hit. I will say they have to work on the taste. Um, you can call it flavorless, but you can't call it tasteless. Some of them are hard to choke down, but this is also the very beginning, right? Like I'm sure the first wheel wasn't perfectly round. So I'm sure that these drinks are going to get better tasting, but they are a great option for people. And, and I love, I love, they, they come on fast. Uh, then you, you, uh, it's, it's almost like having your two drink limit. You wait your time for the, uh, for the off and, then you're okay. But it's uh, the lack of a hangover. I know golf trips, camping, all that stuff. I was taking more cannabis drinks than I was taking uh, beer and, and rum and rye that I that I used to. And and, and going back to that uh, that article about uh, the, the grogginess and the depression, yeah, I got a lot of that from, from my alcohol. And, and, you know, I'd go on a golf trip, a uh, three-day golf trip with the boys, and I'd be done for a week after. So this is a great alternative. And, and as, as she mentioned in there, she would go to parties and be a little bit more chatty, but she'd feel great. So it's, you know, it's, you, you can start low and go slow and, and not end up sleeping at the party because you had too many cannabis drinks, right? Like it, it really is a good, um, I, I think it's just a great alternative, actually not a good alternative, a great alternative, I'll say. I, I quite like the taste myself. Mm, uh, really? You know, not every drink. A few of them ha have a little... Uh, <laughs> not the greatest taste if i could be polite but some of the some of the new ones out there are are really wonderful yeah the house of terpenes 
uh, limonene and mm -hmm. sparkling tonic is one of my favorites. There aren't uh, very many uh, alcoholic drinks that would even parallel that one for taste as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, the the only two that I've found that I can say actually tasted what they were supposed to taste like, unfortunately, is the houseplant uh, grapefruit and the uh, base camp uh, CBD iced tea. The, the mm -hmm. other stuff is still a work in progress for me, but I did take your advice and I used my very well drops in my coffee. Awesome. Totally yeah. works in the uh, for those great uh, wake and bake, uh, well, wake and drop mornings, I guess you might say, right? So uh, I will give you kudos to that. So there are always ways to work around that for sure. All right, speaking of work, uh, for those that are watching, they're seeing on the screen that, yeah, PBS travel guy Rick Steves is explaining why he is backing legal, canna uh, legal cannabis in New Jersey. What do you think of this story? This is great. Uh, the public broadcasting service, yes. uh, you know, basically the American version of the CBC. And these these kinds of people are very accessible to folks who may still have hang ups, generational hang ups, even over cannabis. Uh, Rick Steves has actually been an advocate for cannabis for a long time. He was there even when the first states were legalizing Washington and Colorado years ago as part of that campaign. And since then, has really been helping other campaigns in other states. And we have four different states coming up for a vote on recreational legalization, Arizona, Montana, New Jersey, and South Dakota. So, so far there are already 11 states that have approved recreational cannabis. It's really reaching an inflection point. And as far as Steve's is concerned, he says that this is something that he really believes in he he wants to fight for the rights of people and really against the inherent racism that's involved in the war on drugs and he says he believes that that legalizing cannabis really is common sense uh steve's himself he's he's a casual smoker he says and for him his favorite thing to do is to play the piano high it's uh, it's fun as a guitar player myself i just love to get high and play the guitar there's awesome. very few things in life that compare to playing music with a nice little cannabis buzz on uh if you've never tried it i would say give it a shot yeah. uh, i have to uh, learn how to Steve's play music a... first though <laughs> <laughs> you know it's pretty accessible yeah a few <laughs> a few hours a week and you'll be jamming with the rest of us pretty there quick you there you go Steve's is really fascinating in the sense that he spends about 100 days in Europe mm -hmm. uh, every year. It has done so for the last 30 years. He says that there are a lot of lessons the U.S. can learn from Europe. And particularly, and I love how he says this, the folly of legislating yes. morality. Yes. And, you know, he says his European friends tell him all the time that society has to make a choice to either tolerate alternative lifestyles or to build more prisons. And in the US, they've chosen to build more prisons. So yeah, while it's technically illegal, cannabis is possession across most of Europe, uh, they are a lot more lax than the US. And the Europe is much more of a gray area. Think about the Dutch, for example, where they're really famous for their easygoing approach to cannabis, but it wasn't legalized there, it was decriminalized. Mm -hmm. uh, and here's something to think about. So off the top, we talked about how we're looking at decriminalization in the U.S. rather than legalization. Well, the U.S. pushed through a trade agreement in the U.N. that had required all signatories 
to basically wage trade sanctions against countries that flat out legalize cannabis. And Canada today is actually in flagrant violation mm -hmm. of the UN drug treaties that it did sign, making it a bit of an uncomfortable situation. So when we wonder sometimes why the U.S. looks at decriminalization over legalization, you know, if it were to legalize federally, it would be contravening its own piece of legislation. Um, so something to think about there. And yeah, the idea that they're building prisons rather than uh, embracing alternate lifestyles is sad. Yeah, well, you you could rewrite that legislation. You know, what, what happens if half the countries that have gone down that path decide to legalize? Because there are over 50 countries that are looking at some sort of cannabis reform, whether it's decriminalization, whether it's legalization, whether it's just medical I mean, there's there's a lot of countries. I think that's going to have to be ha have some sort of uh, uh, taken a look at because of the amount of countries that are looking at this plant. And and you know, it, it's true. We, we we can look at uh, you know, Amsterdam has been known as the weed capital of the world for how long? They're not legal. It's just decriminal. It's just very relaxed. It's just a very um, you know, a, a, an open-minded look at it. So there's a lot of things I think that, that could happen. I love the fact that Montana could be looking at this because now, now we can go down back and forth, uh, in, on, on great golf vacations. There's some great golf courses down there and you can get your cannabis there because I don't know about you, David, but I am starting, not that I'm doing a lot of traveling with COVID, but when I do look at travel plans, I look at the, uh, you know, where I can access my cannabis because I do use it for medicine and I also do use it for recreation. So I think a lot of people are going to be like that with their travel plans over the next little while. I think you're right. And I haven't seen very much of the world, but I have seen a lot of Canada and Canada is a beautiful place. So I don't mind just exploring our wonderful country. Uh, there's lots of great golf courses out here in the Okanagan, Dean. So you're welcome yep. to come out and join me. You betcha. All right, David, this has been awesome. Our first uh, video uh, of uh, vehicle of this show, and I'm looking forward to it, and our new switch on the Mondays, which I think will give uh, people uh, a little bit easier time of digesting uh, the podcast. It was getting a little bit tough in that two-hour format, but uh, I love chatting about the, the good news and uh, the even better news when uh, you know popular people from PBS are promoting cannabis it's a lot of peas in that sentence but have yourself a great rest of the thanksgiving monday david and thanks very much for joining me on the program today great to talk to you and great to see you this is the cannabis 101 podcast your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in canada and beyond I want to tell you about the Cannabis uh, and Hemp Expo, which has been uh, postponed once again until late April, the 24th and 25th, the 2021. It will be at the Edmonton Expo Center. We will be there on location uh, broadcasting, doing some episodes and uh, having some fun. So if you're in that Edmonton area, please come down and say hi. You can get more information at www.cannabishempexpo.com. And when this event does get going, uh, we certainly will have uh, some tickets 
available for Cannabis 101 podcast listeners. This is the Business of Cannabis, a joint venture between the Green Generation Co. and the Cannabis 101 podcast. Bringing you the latest bud, biz, buzz. Malka LaBelle from the Green Generation Co. joins me as usual in the Business of Cannabis. You can find out more information at www.greengencompany.com. Malka, welcome. Great to see you. Great to hear you. How has your Thanksgiving weekend been? Thanks, Dean. You know, it's kind of been a weird one. Uh, it kind of feels like just another weekend. I don't know. I don't know about you, but uh, we sort of just kind of skipped over it. <laughs> yeah, we're uh, we're pretty low key around here. We did uh, we did steak and uh, potatoes for our Thanksgiving dinner, but still thankful for being able to talk uh, about cannabis legally in our country as we get set to celebrate another anniversary and uh, to kind of to kind of get us into that vein let's talk a little bit about what happened this week down in the states and uh, Kamala Harris mentioning the word decriminalizing cannabis it's been something she's been on for a little while what were your thoughts and the impact it could have on Canada yeah so you know this was the first time i really clued into thinking about it from the context of the industry in canada so her uh stance even when she was running for president was on decriminalizing cannabis and she's actually part of the safe or the more um bank not the more the 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 program to basically allow people to come out of of prisons and decriminalize uh cannabis so she's been on that track for a while the fact that this was all of a sudden or sort of come to my top of mind was really to think about what's the difference between decriminalization and legalization from an industry industry perspective in canada and this is a question that comes up actually all the time more in conversation with uh, like my clients and people that i'm talking to like cross-border um, it's not really known what's gonna, what it's going to be. Doesn't matter who chooses to do what with it. Whether doesn't matter what the election does. But I wanted to clarify what I believe is the differences between the two and how decriminalization really um, is different from legalization and how that can impact Canada uh, from an industry perspective. So decriminalization is to legalization is like a spectrum. Like if you want to think of it like, you know, fully illegal is like far one side and full legalization is far the other side. And decriminalization is kind of like in the middle somewhere um, where I believe, you know, decriminalization is defined as really loosening uh, the criminal penalties imposed for people that use cannabis or possess cannabis uh, or marijuana in the States. And um, so it's kind of like, okay, we're just not going to make it illegal anymore, but it doesn't really create some, any really like industry construction, like uh, imposing um, tax regimes or, um, you know, creating new laws around it. So what that means is in Canada, we went the far route of legalization, which is that essentially we created a new industry. So um, the government can regulate it, they can impose taxes on it, um, they can, you know, create laws to protect citizens around it. There's like a legal framework and structure for for changing the laws. So that's the full gamut of legalization. And that's what we're doing in Canada. 
And, you know, it's a slow, it's a slow and long road, a slow burn, <laughs> literally, mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of people. Um, but what this does in a, in a essence is if, you know, cannabis has become legal in various states in the U.S., but not all of them. And, and effectively what decriminalization would do federally um, with bringing, and also with bringing in like the safe banking laws, which I think is really the big part of it, is this, um, is this going to allow for a big influx of cash into in, an investment into the cannabis industry, um, both for Canadian companies, for U.S. companies, and any company really? It's there's going to be like a kind of like a halo effect, and and my belief is that you know U.S. companies that are already operating legally in the states in which they uh, are, and MSOs in particular, which are multi-state operators, you're going to get to hear that a lot more if you haven't already. Mm-hmm. MSOs are companies that have taken on cannabis in legal states and are operating in a very complex uh, state-by-state um, situation, very similar to how we operate in Canada mm-hmm. across different uh, sort of uh, public, uh, provincial jurisdictions. But with the allowing of the laws for banking and safe um, investment, um, it, it basically de-risks people's money. And so therefore we, and we, we've already seen that cannabis has had a pretty big increase in popularity with COVID because people like to buy it and use it. And those numbers are already being evident early on. Um, so we're gonna see a lot more money into the industry is my prediction. And we've already seen it happening on the stock market. Like as of you know last week, right after this, uh, you know, the de- uh, vice presidential debate, the, the stocks, the, the U.S. and Canadian uh, stock stocks for publicly traded companies that are operating in multi jurisdictions on the New York Stock Exchange on the not or on that sorry the Nasdaq took a boost. So I saw that in my portfolio, and then a lot of people like I think twenty percent gains in some of them already were seen um, for companies like even Canadian companies that are just listed on the. Um, U.S. exchanges or like the NASDAQ. So that's a really, really good thing. That's really been the big hampering so far within the industry. So even with the uh, decriminalization um, or any form of that to legalization, I think we're going to really be positively benefited from that. Well, for sure. And you know the 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 cannabis factor uh, certainly isn't uh, as big a part of the U.S. election as it was in Canada leading up and and why we got legalization but it was brought up it is something uh that uh, Kamala Harris has uh, you know been pushing and you know Bernie Sanders was was big on legalization and I think uh, Kamala Harris helped uh, Joe Biden get to that point a little bit uh and while I don't think it's going to be as big of a point in the US election as it was in Canada I still think it's going to there's going to be a factor in decriminalization is at least that first step. At least we can get some people out of prison for the ridiculous things that are going on. I mean, there were more uh, arrests for possession of marijuana in the United States than all violent crimes last year. That is bloody ridiculous. Yeah, and and one other point, actually, you know, you see, not necessarily being a, a federal election topic, but what it is going to be is is a state election topic. Yes. And I actually, I just wrote a blog post about this. It's about to be published, and it's about what we're seeing is this is that these Republican uh, politicians have sort of left the Republican Party 
and are running as independent parties under the cannabis uh, legalization or the marijuana legalization state by state. So it's kind of been this, this situation where at a state Senate level, where the states want legalization. So forget mm. about federally, it doesn't really matter. They want to legalize it within their state. And it's kind of been taken over. A lot of these independent parties are running and they're former Republicans. So you have to check out my my blog post about that because I go into the details of why I think that is. It's very, I think it's very fascinating. Uh, there's a bit of, some people have some conspiracy theories behind it, but mm. I have a different perspective. But uh, yeah, you'll have to check that out on my, on my website uh, the next day or so. All right, that's at www.greengencompany.com. Uh, let's talk change makers and um, the, uh, the people we're focusing on today. Route One, and uh, for those watching, uh, the website is up on the screen: www.routeoneagency.com. So, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about uh, Route One. So Route One, I basically is sort of one of those cool full circle stories that uh, I have to say was it's very it was very interesting to discover these guys again. So basically, um, their business is based on um, a similar model to the alcohol industry like rep model. So very similar, uh, like you know, a lot of the tenants around the uh, you know distribution of cannabis are basically modeled exactly after the um, alcohol distribution model down to the same systems that they're using. Um, so these guys actually attended my cannabis 101 workshop that I actually did exactly a year ago. And they came to the workshop like over a couple different sessions. They came independently and I didn't know they were related to each other until afterwards. <laughs> But um, yeah, so they were just interested. So they were they're kind of, they were they're liquor reps. They were part of the liquor uh, industry and had been for a long time. And after the presentation, after my workshop, I followed up with them like, hey, like thanks for coming. You know, how did you hear about us or whatever? And they're like, you know, we just found you on the Eventbrite. But what was really cool was that you know we're thinking of getting into this industry with our knowledge of the legal uh, alcohol route, particularly in Alberta. Uh, what do you think? And so we had a kind of a couple of discussions around it and I gave them some some ideas and, and essentially they chose to work on that marketing section, which is huge, which is essentially replacing what is sort of there but doesn't really exist, which is essentially a in-store sales rep that's there to represent brands. And so some brands have this, the bigger brands um, like I would say, I mean, I, I met the Riff girl, so she's like part of the, I think it's the Afria brands. Mm -hmm. So some of the bigger players have their own like sales team and they'll go in and wrap all the different brands that are made by that particular producer. Um, but then there's all these new sort of young or independent or micros coming up that don't have that kind of representation. And they're essentially just on the sell sheet from the pro the, for the provincial uh, retailer. Right. So their plan is to go and talk about these new brands and products uh, into all the stores focused on Alberta. Like their route one concept is we're, you know, we're building the cannabis highway. Do you want to lift? I, which I think is awesome. So yeah, I'm, uh, I think that they've got a, a good thing and they're just getting started and I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah. I think that's uh, it, it's really cool. I mean, when you talk about the cannabis industry, how many sales reps have you met that were from the alcohol industry? It's it's flooded with them, right? So, um, there and you know it, it is different. Uh, I, I I obviously yeah. think there is, but there are some general things that you can bring to it and then improve on it with the, the you know the the related cannabis industry. So there's a lot of people from that industry, pharmaceutical as well. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely great. And they're, they're bringing their connections, their understanding of how the industry works, mm -hmm. um, their contacts, their network. Um, 
That's great. I'm like, that's what people need to do. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people call me and ask me like, oh, like, how do I get into the industry? I'm like, well, tell me what you do. Like, where's your experience? Because what we're understanding is that pretty much anything can apply, you know, like even on our next topic, you know, it's so far fetched, but actually um, there's been quite a few examples where people from other industries where you think that has nothing to do with cannabis, it doesn't necessarily matter. You can learn about the cannabis plant. But what you know from an existing, from your existing background, that's what this, these are doing, uh, that these guys are doing with Route 1. That's, they're, that's why they're a change maker to me is that they're taking what they know and kind of pivoting, so slight change, but applying it to the new uh, industry that we're, we're in right now. Well, Malka, you, you don't have to look any farther than what you're looking at right now to find somebody who was not anywhere near the cannabis industry before I got into this podcast. I did sports media for over 22 years. Uh, and certainly athletes weren't talking about cannabis. So, uh, you, you bring you exactly, you bring what you have to this industry and then you learn. I'm, I have no problem saying I didn't know what a terpene was and still I, until I got into this show. My cannabis experience used to be, here's $50, give me a bag or, or going into a retail yeah. store and asking for THC and now because you, you can learn so much about this, it, it's all about, that's exactly it. It's your past experience and your passion to learn and, and research yeah. and learn new things is, is what's going to be able to have, have people be successful in this industry, in my opinion anyway. Totally. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean it's a big career change. Like so a lot of people sometimes get scared when they think like, oh, my gosh, I have to totally change everything I know and everything I do and like start from scratch to get into a new industry. And that's just not true. Like there are so many applications where your knowledge from before is an asset to the new industry. So, you know, don't forget everything, you know, in order to, to jump on board. Exactly. That's a really, really good point. All right. For those watching, um, that is an interesting picture. And that's where we're going with what it means to be green. And we're greening the planet by oil and gas refugees. And apologize for those just listening, but you can watch the show on our YouTube and our uh, WeTube channel, as well as our social media feeds as well. So uh, explain um, what we're talking about, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of people from different industries and, and oil and gas. It, it actually might be one of the biggest, isn't it? Yeah. So at least in Alberta, I mean, yeah. so here's the, the, the massive uh, situation of a bunch of stuff happening at the same time. What's that called? Like a quagmire? I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're sitting in the, in the middle of a massive uh, crash of energy and oil demand you know, like an honest to God organic, not need for oil or gas because we're not going anywhere because of COVID, um, you know, and, and before that, the oil industry had been on a decline for a long time. Um, but the people that are in the, that are in the oil and gas industry, the, the, existed, the topic that I'm covering here is that they're really resilient people. And um, why? Well, because they have suffered through some highs and some lows. We call them oil and gas cowboys in some cases, which is my reference here with the cowboy on the pump jack. Um, the, these people know how to ride the bull. You know, they've been through some really, really tough times before. And how the, the term oil and gas refugees, where that came up was, I literally got reconnected with a former client of mine. I used to be in the oil and gas uh, uh, software and services side of business. And my clients, we called them oil and gas entrepreneurs or or emerging oil and gas uh, um, companies. And that's because they literally had all of their skin in the game. They were young and small and they all had a five-year exit plan. They're like, we're going to 
fill all these wells and find all this oil and we're going to be these cowboys. We, we put our entire house, all of our children's, you know, uh, college funds and everything we own on the line to do this. Um, and the regulations in Alberta were extremely strict, but not well understood. And that was what I was selling with software to help that. So I would go into my client's office, you know, who had these great glowing, you know, hope for the future and what their business was going to do. They were really working hard to be within the regulations, which were really about protecting the land and the water and the planet and all those things. So they were already had the mentality, we're doing oil and gas, but we're going to do it as green as possible. So that was already in their sort of purview. And then the oil and gas refugee. So I come back, you know, four years later and I'm walking into an office again and it's like, oh my God, these are the same clients that I had in oil and gas, but they're not in the oil and gas business anymore. Now they're in the cannabis business. And that's literally the president of the company says to me, we're oil and gas refugees. I'm like, I am a, I am a member of the tribe. Like we're all in this together. So that's where the term came from. He literally said it. And I love that phrase and I use it a lot. Um, and really it came down to, you know, these are really entrepreneurial people. Um, they have, well, a lot of them have high credentials. They're engineers, they're accountants. They have a ton of cred figuring out how to make metrics work when their conditions around them are next to impossible to predict. And like things like we used to call the, the trifecta, uh, uh, like the, we had fires, floods, and, you know, oil crashing prices all happening at the same time. So all of the externalities of their world used to go up and down in massive, you know, heart attack inducing type situations. So they took that, you know, that spirit and jumped over into the cannabis sector where it has been just <laughs> the same in terms of ups and downs. And that's the indomitable spirit, the resilience, and the kind of mentality um, that not only that these uh, people have, but it's the ethos of my company. And and we we my clients are all very smart people and they wear their engineering pinky ring with pride. They know how to build things. They know how to design things. They know how to do accounting and, and you know, regulatory challenges and working with regulators to find problems and solutions and working to fit to, to make the planet and people's health still of forefront importance with the products and services that they're selling. So that's what this is about. We're, they're just as interested in greening the planet, even though the greater world maybe didn't think that. Right. Um, I was sitting at their boardroom tables as they're trying to figure out how not to, you know, make things, you know, worse for the climate that they already were as an oil and gas company. Now they're coming in to the green world of cannabis and they've got a great mentality and great success already um, setting up their companies. So it's, uh, it's only good things from here. Well, it's a, it was a perfect storm, unfortunately, that uh, pushed a lot of people out of the oil and gas uh, field. And, and hopefully it's a perfect storm uh, in a good way, getting into the cannabis, using that knowledge, as we just mentioned. But the one thing that you mentioned is, is working with regulators. Well, that's the cannabis industry uh, in a nutshell. I mean, you know, almost everybody in this cannabis industry has to follow some sort of uh, regulations. And, and, and if you have prior experience that it, it gives you a, a leg up, at least on you know how to deal with people. Yeah. And you know what? This, the thing that I learned from them being sort of a, I would say almost like a middleman in that sense, because we were creating a product to help them manage the regulatory burden that was on them. Um, you know what? like one of the best expressions that I think really encompasses it is, you know, let's come together for, for a solution. Like they, they stopped thinking about the regulator as the enemy and they right. started thinking about them. How are we going to work together? 
And that's the mentality that worked in the oil and gas business and that it's working for people right now in the cannabis sector. If they work with the regulator who are learning this as well, uh, the provincial governments didn't know anything more about cannabis than the people that were in the industry in front of them. Um, so they're all in it together and they're learning as they go. And the good thing is they're adaptable. And doing it provincially has allowed them to be adaptable and it will continue to be adaptable. And that's a good thing. So sometimes regulation is a really scary thing, but like because we made cannabis legal federally in Canada, mm -hmm. there's a framework in which to change the laws, you yeah. know, so that's cool. 100%. Uh, Malka, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great to see you and hear you on this edition of the Cannabis 101 podcast as we move forward on our new uh, split day format as well. So lots of new stuff coming out of this, and there's always something new coming out of the cannabis industry. Thank you so much once again for joining me. Have a great rest of your holiday Monday. Thanks, Dean. Enjoy your day as well. Bud, dope, flower. Ganja, Mary Jane. We all have our own language when it comes to cannabis. Herb, John Lennon, plant, tie stick, salad. So let's explore another weed word of the day. Samuel L. Jackson, the Hobbit's Leaf, Lady Gaga, 420. So weed word of the day, this is how we do it. We give you one slang word and one standard word when it comes to the cannabis industry or cannabis use. And uh, the word bouldered is one that we're going with today as far as the slang word um, that just means basically you're beyond stoned. Uh, you're couch lock, you got giggle mania, whatever it is. You're just really rocked. You're not stoned, you're not rocked, you're bouldered. Uh, basically, you, you're trapped under a boulder of THC. Uh, so yeah, that's boulder. What word would you guys use uh, when one of your buddies uh, or you know somebody, your, your, maybe your wife or your husband, uh, your brother or sister, somebody you know gets really, really bouldered? Uh, what word do you use for that one? I'd love to hear that. Uh, hit me up. Uh, on Twitter at the Cannabis 101 or email me Cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. The standard word we're going with is carb cap, and that is used in dabbing to control the heat and to control uh, the airflow. Usually it's like a, a almost like a bulb-like thing. It's uh, a, Obviously it's a, a material that's not going to um, break or shatter because the heat is crazy. I have one that's actually looks like a duck. So there's all kinds of designs and everything. On the uh, last week, we talked with Levi Hornack from uh, Stonesmiths, and they have the slash. They have uh, two little holes on the side as uh, for airflow, and you can plug them if you want to with your finger as a type of a carb cap. Uh, the Utilian 5, I know, has a couple of options for airflow and stuff. So uh, it's a dabbing term, and um, it's basically to, as mentioned, control the heat and airflow uh, as uh, you take your hit. And it's obviously, I think it makes it uh, much better when you are dabbing to use uh, a, uh, a carb cap of uh, some sorts for sure. All right, if you're watching this, you're, uh, you maybe already know about our YouTube channel or the WeTube channel, or maybe you're just watching it on social media, but make sure you check out uh, future episodes. We're going to have product reviews. Uh, we're going to have so much more going on now 
that we can actually involve video. So uh, definitely make sure uh, you are checking out our channels on uh, the WeTube, YouTube, and uh, we'll be streaming on our social media feeds as well. This is the Cannabis 101 Podcast. Your guide through the legalization and consumption of cannabis in Canada and beyond. And that's going to wrap up uh, this uh, first uh, hour of this week of the Cannabis 101 podcast. Hour number two will come out on Wednesday featuring Jim Hole as our feature interview of Atlas Growers. Can't wait for that. And Chris Ionson, the manager of Nova Cannabis, Jasper Rav, as our educator on What's That Strain. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please let us know. Uh, reach out uh, to any of our uh, social media feeds or our email, uh, cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Uh, or leave us a review. Subscribe. Let us know what you think of the show. Really, really appreciate it. If you think you'd make a good guest for the show, or if you want to join the program as an advertiser, please hit us up, cannabis101podcast at gmail.com. Always love telling great, great stories. And that will wrap it up, wrap things up for us. Uh, thanks to uh, David Wiley from the OZ and, of course, to Malcolm LaBelle uh, from, uh, from the business of cannabis from the Green Gen Company. GreenGenerationCo.com is where you can find that. Thank you so much for you, the listener and the viewer, for joining us. And as we do on every show, we end things with the song Marijuana from the artist My Dead Dog. Until next week, or until Wednesday, I guess I should say, it's not just about getting high, it's about getting healthy. Mm-hmm.